All right. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah if you have your Bible. And without a doubt, this message here, the verses that we're going to read are very, very encouraging. And I felt as I was meditating, as I always do, as what to bring forth on this Lord's Day, I just really felt compelled, you know, that we need encouragement. And these verses will definitely do it. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning at verse 28, the Bible says, Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Simply today the title and theme of the message is Waiting on the Lord. And with that, I'd like to tell you a story of something that happened many years ago now. My wife and I were born again during what is now called the Jesus Movement, and there's a film out on that. We were born again in the 70s. Many people came to the Lord during a few year period there in the 70s. Many were asking questions and so on, similar to what we see going on now. There were two brothers, twins, that I worked with whose sister was in the church that we attended. And she was always asking, you know, pray for my brothers, they become saved. And so we did. And as I just mentioned, they worked with me when I was an x-ray technician, and they had other jobs in the hospital. We worked in the same hospital. So they would come down sometimes together, sometimes one at a time, and they would just taunt me. Now, they were a bit younger than me, a couple of few years younger than me. And yeah, you believe this, and you believe that, and all that, and I would answer their questions. And we'd have, you know, trips. I would take, well, so let's go to the beach. We'd go to the beach together, whatever. Well, one day, one of the brothers, we got talking about exercise, working out, whatever. In those days, I ran a lot. He says, well, you know, I hear that you run. I said, yeah, well, you know. He says, man, I'll blow your doors in. I'll run with you. I'll, you know, all this guy talk. And I just said, okay. So we're going this afternoon. Want to come? And I laid out the course for him. Then again, he started with, I'll blow your doors in and all that. Okay, fine. I'll meet you. And so we met. This was a run I used to do that started right on the city line, Yonkers, Bronx. So remember, my front door was Yonkers, my back door was the Bronx. And I would start on the city line and I would run down on Broadway all the way through the city of Yonkers to the city of Ardsley. It was seven and a half miles. I would hit the sign that says, welcome to Ardsley, ding, turn around and go back. It's 15 miles. Well, I met Bobby, that's his name. And he was all set. He was still telling me how he was going to blow my doors in and all this was going to do to me. Off we went. We started out together and then he, too slow, you run too slow. I said, well, got a ways to go yet, you know. Got to pace yourself, just like life. Well, Yonkers is a lot like Amsterdam. It's got a lot of hills. Some of them are huge, massive hills. And I always picked out runs that were difficult, runs that had hills in them. Sometimes they'd carry rocks, not in the street, but in Van Cortland Park in the woods. Did all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> so we're running. It was a hot summer day, and we're going along at a you know, decent clip. And then we hit what is the mother of all hills, and it goes up for a few miles, and it's just like this. Well, he was getting tired of my pace, so he started picking up the pace as we're going up the hill. And I kept saying, Bobby, slow down. Don't tell me uh, you're too slow. I said, Bobby, we've got a long way to go yet. Slow down. Well, I can say he beat me to the sign this at Ardsley. And as I said, my habit was I used to just tap it, bing, and he was over there when I started to turn around. He said, where are you going? I said, Bobby, we're only halfway there. What? Halfway? And he started talking about how tired he was. I said, yeah, we got to go all the way back to where we started. That was another seven and a half miles. I can't make it. As he was running, he was gassed. He was really gassed. I was quoting this scripture to him. This is how men win people to the Lord. We wear them down and we prove out, you think you're going to blow my doors in? Try me on. I said, Bobby, remember, but they that wait upon the Lord, I was shouting to him, shall renew their strength and mount up. And I kept repeating that one verse from Isaiah 43. Well, we got halfway home. That was it for him. I'm going home. Okay, see you. But he and his brother both came to the Lord. 
Today he's a pastor, he's got a good-sized church, been a pastor for many years, he was in my church in the Bronx, and things worked out okay. But the point was this, I was sharing with him a scripture that literally says, take a look at it with me, that the youth shall faint and be weary, so we get a clue that this is applicable to older people. And the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run. That was what was relative to our situation. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. The book of Isaiah was written in times that are similar to the times we live in right now. The Assyrians were already taking over parts of their land. There was battles going on that Israel was not winning. And the call of Isaiah was for repentance, was to come back to the Lord. If you read the first chapter of Isaiah, he announces, don't say you have the temple, same way we use church, my church, our church, all that. Don't say you have the temple. Come to me, just paraphrasing the intent of verse 1 or chapter 1, to repent and come back to the Lord. Then God, as I said, he has already promised what he will do. Israel never did. So the judgments got worse and worse and worse until finally the northern kingdom, known as Israel, eventually was taken entirely captive. Only shortly after that, the southern kingdom went as well to Babylon. So the book of Isaiah was written in circumstances similar to the ones we have today. It was judgments in the land. And certainly we are seeing the judgments of God in our land here in America. Some have observed, and I saw this this week and I thought it was a pretty good intelligent view, on Memorial Day, which only occurs once throughout the whole year, we honor those who went off to war, combat, and never came back, that died so that we could be free. Then you have Veterans Day, you know, for those of you who are vets, and some are deployed, some are not, but you have veterans who have been deployed on missions all over the world in many wars, and not everybody comes back the same way they went. They lose legs, they lose limbs, blind, other issues, PTSD, all of this. So we have a day to honor the veterans, we have a day to honor the fallen soldier, including a tomb to the unknown soldier. We have a day for moms, Mother's Day. We have a day for fathers, Father's Day. We have a day, one day to celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, one day for Easter, but a whole month dedicated to the LGBTQ. Now they have plus, so we don't even know what's plus. It also should be noted that it was, up until the 60s, a crime to burn an American flag. As far as I remember, when I researched it some years ago, in all the states had this law, it was a crime to burn. But during Vietnam, and there was changes in Central Park burning a flag, went to court, they went to court, and people had been burning the flag, the American flag. And yet today, if you burn a rainbow flag, it's considered a hate crime. Burning an American flag is protected by First Amendment, freedom of speech, which burning a rainbow flag is a hate crime. And you see, Israel, in its history, went through the exact same type of things. And God started to pour out judgment. So I'm not going to talk today about all these things that you already know from watching the news and all of these events that you are up on. It's just that we should be aware of the fact that we are living in these type of times. For all the years that I've been preaching here in this city, it's going on 36, I've always seen us somewhere in Isaiah or Jeremiah as far as comparing times that they lived in and times that we lived in. By the way, some of you have asked me, have I watched the television show The Chosen? I have not. I didn't have any real good reason not to, I just don't. I watch very little television and spend the rest of my time reading, working, and other things. But you know how they have outtakes from movies and shows that you can watch, and they had an outtake from The Chosen, and someone picked up on the fact that there was a rainbow flag on one of the vehicles, and when questioned about it, it belongs to one of the staff, been with them for some time. And so we had that, and then you have the fact that the creators of The Chosen have partnered with the Mormons, and then you also have the fact that, and I heard this with my own ears, I've actually seen all of this with my own eyes, um, you have the fact that one of the actors or one of the directors, whoever he was, is talking about how they're filling in the gaps in the Bible because that's part of the creative process. Let me tell you something. God says, don't add to my word and don't take away from it. There's one thing about scholarship. We surmise things, but we don't need to fill in the gaps because Hollywood says, hey, this will make it more appealing or we're just going to, we're going to tell you what it actually says between the lines. The only thing between the lines of my Bible here is white. And the rest is black, always black and white. But what I really want to encourage you with today starts with two questions at verse 28. First one is, haven't you known? The second one is, haven't you heard? 
Then we have these statements about God. He's the everlasting God. He's had no beginning. He will have no end. Then he's Jehovah, as you see here in our King James Bible, that Lord is capitalized. Then he's the creator of the ends of the earth. In this message here, I'm literally taking you to the center of the universe. The creator, the one that created not only all things, but he created you, Jesus. He's the creator. He's the everlasting God. He's the great I am, the Lord. And he never faints, and he's never weary. Now, I have fainted, not literally so much as figuratively or burnout. And I've certainly been weary. And I know many of you have come here today, and you're weary, and you're tired. But God is never tired. He's up all night, never sleeps, as far as we ascertain from the Bible. Jesus slept as a man, but there is no searching, it says here. You can't even search his understanding. I've told you before that my understanding of eternity is that we're not going to exhaust our knowledge of God. And, you know, people ask, which I think is a legitimate question, what are we going to do in heaven? Well, I can't say precisely because the Bible doesn't really accent that or announce that. But I do believe we will never be bored and that we will never come to a full understanding of God or of everything else that the future holds, eternity holds, because there's no searching of his understanding. There's no way to completely, as Plato said, put God into our small minds. And that's why we have to look up during the times in which we live right now. Psalm 37 says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. You would be well advised and edified if you'd read that psalm today. Not to fret. We're all tempted to. And fret means to burn hot with anger. God says, don't do it. I have things under control. You may not think so. I think I told you about the friend of mine who has been recently reading his Bible. Like you, he's watching the news and all of this and came to me as we were talking and he was saying, you know, I think God has lost control. I said, Mike, how could God lose control? He's God. The Bible says just the opposite. The Bible says that God has everything under control and we know prophecy here because we've studied it so much. We know that God is working out his plan. In some cases, just letting man do what he's going to do. God's saying, okay, go ahead, but I'll hold you accountable for what you're doing. And then on the other hand, he's initiating things that only God could initiate. There is no searching of his understanding. So the question is, first of all, on the subject of waiting on the Lord, which is not always that easy. Haven't you known and haven't you heard? Well, you hear, you've heard, and you here have been taught. You've heard, you've known. But let me say something to you. There's a difference between information, knowledge, and being skilled at what you do. The last thing you ever want to see in my hand is either a screwdriver or a hammer. <laughs> I had a friend of mine once, a plumber, who saw me doing some work, said, Pastor, why don't you stick with the Bible and I'll do the plumbing? I said, that sounds like a deal. So I don't possess, and it's not that I couldn't, I just don't possess the skills that some of you do when it comes to plumbing and electricity and all that stuff. So if you see me coming to your house with a screwdriver, you better lock the door. But we have to ask ourselves the question, are we simply getting information when we read the Bible or we come here on Sunday, you know, the Lord's Day, are we just obtaining knowledge, Bible prophecy and all the other things? Or are we taking the information and the knowledge and turning it into a skill in how we live? Like I shared with you about the tithes and the offerings, but how many subjects can we address where God says, this is what I will do. You do this and I'll do this. It's a promise. I told you that my dad was very proud of the fact that he never would break his word. And he taught me that. So I've always determined to be the same way. I give my word, I keep my word. As long as it's something that I can actually do. Haven't you heard? Oh yeah, you've heard. Haven't you known? You have. You here have. That the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he never faints and he's never weary. Again, you faint and you're weary, but he is not. And we must not mistake our weariness for his. We must not make the mistake, as I tried to help my buddy, my friend, to think that God has lost control of the planet. I did something some years ago, I think I shouldn't have did now when I think about it, but I went through a period decades ago where I was just getting tired a lot. We had to make a trip to Yonkers to see family and stuff, and my wife was asking me if I'd be okay behind the wheel. I said, yeah. Now, I grew up in a family that was constantly teasing. So sometimes I do that with other people, they don't appreciate it, and I think most do. That's how I grew up. I was being teased, and it was a term of endearment. Anyway, 
After telling her I was doing okay, we had two children in the back seat, no, three children in the back seat, and unfortunately, at that point, my wife was pregnant. I decided to play a joke. So while everybody was kind of nodding out, I closed my right eye and opened my mouth, and just, my wife woke up screaming my name, screaming, screaming, and I just started laughing and laughing and laughing, but, uh, well, it wasn't, wasn't all that funny. Point is, she thought I lost control of the car. I didn't. And you must not think that God has lost control of his universe and his earth. He hasn't. God is not asleep at the wheel. Neither was I. But he's not asleep at the wheel. God is alive. God keeps his word. The words of A.W. Tozer, the great pastor located years ago in Chicago, whose books some of you have read, said this once, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. Then he went on to say, what a pity that we plan only the things that we could do by ourselves. That's what the prayer life is all about. It's in one manner of speaking, letting God be God. That's just a manner of speaking. And do what we cannot do for ourselves. You know, the truth of it is, and I think this to myself, when I'm placed in situations where I know I'm not in control, that drives me closer to God, hanging on to the hem of his garment. I say, God, you know, you're going to work and do what I cannot do. Whether it's your sickness or your disease or the thoughts going through your head or your depressions or your anxieties or your heart troubles or your diabetes or whatever else, God is looking for people through whom he can work the impossible and it is a pity that we don't take advantage of the very promises God has made. Or like the spec ops people say, we do the work today that others will not be able to do tomorrow. You build your faith now because there's coming a time when you'll, it'll be too late to build your faith. Build your strength in the Lord right now. Haven't you known? Haven't you heard? The Lord never faints and he's not weary and there is no searching of his understanding and there is no searching of his power. There is no end to it because he's God. So wherever you're squeezed up against that rock in the hard place at the moment, this should drive you closer to God, believing God for the impossible, the improbable. What's hard to accomplish on your own? Let's not fall into that trap. Here's an interesting illustration. Some years ago, New Year's Day, the Rose Bowl Parade, which is, you know, very ornate, very, I guess, pretty is the word. Well, it was going along just fine, and one of the cars with all these beautiful flowers just simply stopped. So that means you're backing up the rest of the parade if you've ever marched in one. And that means the bands are stopped and the other trucks and the flowers and the cheerleaders and whoever else, they're all stuck behind a truck that won't move. And you know why it wasn't moving? It ran out of gas. And what is the real irony is that the float was representing the Standard Oil Company, which is now ExxonMobil and broke out into 43 other companies after they were basically sued for antitrust laws. And so here's a truck representing a massive conglomerate of the Rockefellers and others who were involved in these oil conglomerates. And it's their truck that runs out of gas. It's their truck that has no fuel. Well, let me tell you something. God never runs out of fuel. God never runs out of gas. I've run out of gas on many occasions. God never does. So what you want to make sure is that you are relying on the power of God, not your own strength. And I'll say this to you. Simple instruction, not easy to do sometimes because we like to get, well, the screwdriver or the hammer in our hands and fix things. And in a metaphorical and allegorical comparison, a lot of times you try to fix things, it only gets, let's say, more broke. I have a theory about work, working around the house. When my wife may say to me, it's a small job, my saying is there is no such thing as a small job. (laughs) It's one wire, that's all it is. No, you go in there and all of a sudden, everything's messed up. The electricity from the top to the bottom and everything else, then something else happens. There's no such thing as a small job. God never runs out of gas. And you make sure that you remember that. We have a God who is omnipotent, all-powerful. Nothing is impossible with God, Jesus. And as long as we stay connected in one manner of speaking to him, then we will have power. We'll see in just a second again, he will renew our strength. That obviously says that we run out from time to time, but God fills us back up. Unlike Standard Oil Company in the Rose Bowl parade, we don't have to run out of gas. In fact, you know, I'll tell you, just this morning, it came through my mind. I was thinking about things, and all of a sudden I'm thinking so far in the future, this, that, the other thing. 
And I began to remember, or the words came to me, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I realized that if we do things in the cycle of time, as God creates these things, as God is working out his plan, everything is doable in his time. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, in his time. And when we're on our own, well, it just doesn't work out well. Hast thou not known? Verse 29 is a short verse with a lot of potential to encourage you. In the times in which we live, as I've said, we're going through history just like others have. And we're seeing the judgments of God on our land. And it has many people discouraged. But I want you to notice what it says in verse 29, Isaiah chapter 40. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. He doesn't give power to the powerful. He doesn't look for those that are strong, say, I want you to join my army. He looks for those that are fainting. He looks for those who are without strength, and he gives them power, his power, his gasoline. If we would begin or continue to think on the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the omnipotence of God, as the scripture says in Philippians chapter 4, if we would think on these things, you're going to find yourself being constantly supplied. As I've already told you, and there's more to the story I'm going to tell you in a couple minutes. I said, oh man, I knew this trip to the cardiologist just wasn't going to be good. But then I remembered God. And I said, nah, nah, mm -mm, no. All things work together for good. All things. Now look at, some of you people here, you're old. And you act old, and you talk old. I can't, and I don't mean to be rude when I say this, but really, just shut up. He gives power to the faint. You say, I'm faint. No, he gives power to the faint. That's what the beauty, that little short verse. He gives power to the faint. I feel faint. He gives power to the faint. You're faint? He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Jesus became a man to identify with us and to save us. What a surprise it was to those that did believe on him then, the way he did it. But here's a little boy who goes past the pet shop. He sees these puppies, and he just wants one of those puppies. But he didn't have the money. So whatever he did to earn the money week after week, he just kept saving his money until the day came. He had the money to buy one of them puppies at the pet shop. He walked in, talked to the pet shop owner who had spoken with him before. And he put the money there for the price of the puppy. And the owner of the store said to him, finally the day has come that you can get one of these puppies you've wanted so bad. So the little boy looked at the litter of puppies and he picked that one, I want that one there. And the owner of the store said, no, no, you don't want that one there. That one's sick, it's crippled. The boy took up his pants leg and pulled it up. And there was a brace. He said, well, you said, I'm crippled too. And I figured if I pick him, since he's crippled and I'm crippled, we've become good friends. That was a good thought. That's precisely, or at least it's an illustration of what Jesus did for us. It says, he that knew no sin became sin for us. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Christ knows what it's like to be the very thing he created, man, to be like you, to be like me. He knows the pressures. He knows the distresses. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be lonely. And the power of God will sustain you. And the power of God will sustain me. Until the day I'm convinced I will not die. One day before God says, now I'm done with you. I mean, work-wise, ministry-wise. I'm done with you. And on that day, it's going to be a great day. Amen. Great day. But I will not go. That's my faith in the Lord. I will not go one day sooner. And God has appointed on his calendar to take me home. And I have the belief that he won't take you either. So you're done with your assignment. Amen. So make sure you're living on your assignment. Make sure you're doing what you are called to do. And if you don't know, ask God. The first time I went to a church that was preaching the Bible, our pastor had a very thick Italian accent. So you didn't know if he was preaching in English or speaking in tongues. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I just didn't know what he was saying because his accent was so heavy. <laughs> but I was in that church a couple of weeks and I knew this is what I was called to do. That's what I'm supposed to be. And I was in college at the time. I did finish my degree, two-year degree in radiology. And I did work for a while in the field. But I knew I was called. I would actually tell people on the job, both radiology. Then I worked over in the post office for a while. And I would tell people, this is just temporary. I'm called to be a preacher. I'm called to preach the gospel. I knew it. Ask God. 
Because then you're guaranteed, as I told you the story a week or so back about being on the plane that was pretty, pretty rocky. It was pretty bad. And the lady over here is crying and she's so scared. And I said, I'm a preacher. God's not finished with my work. This plane is safe as long as I'm on it. He said, what are you, egotistical? No, that's what I believe. <laughs> plane can crash and we all die because God's not finished with my work. So I'm not concerned as much about the diagnosis of doctors, even though it's true, because I know that I can't go one day sooner than God has appointed on his calendar. And I would encourage you to start thinking the same way. As I said, some of you are old. I can tell by looking at you, you're just, you're old. But don't act and talk like an old person. Go to the gym and talk to guys my, my age, how's your cholesterol? I don't talk about my cholesterol, not with you anyway. Just talk about something else, something positive. But I'm going to talk about that in a minute anyway. Never forget, he gives power to the faint. Verse 30 says, even the youths, or youths, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. And then we get to verse 31. We have the potential to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man today, based on that verse right there. Even the young people will get weary and they will faint, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It's a great, great promise. So some years back, my wife gave me a call, and I believe I was at work at the time or someplace I wasn't home, and she announces that the vacuum cleaner just stopped. Again, I'm not handy Andy. Can I figure out how to take things apart? Yes, I can. Can I put them back together logically and systematically? Yes, I can. But I said, all right, I'll, I'll take a look at it when I get home. So I'm just checking this thing out all over the place, and I can't figure out what's wrong until I kept following the cord. It was unplugged. You know, I, I don't have a degree in physics, but... As far as I know, you have to have the vacuum cleaner plugged in for it to work. So somewhere along the pushing and the pulling, it just unplugged itself. My dad had a similar experience when one of our relatives called him up. He liked to tinker. He liked to come home from work. He worked down, not on Wall Street, but near Water Street. He was an executive vice president insurance company, and he liked to tinker. And uh, my aunt called him up, his lamp doesn't work. So he came over with his toolbox and he's taking the whole thing apart and he's looking at the wiring and everything else and he can't figure it out till he followed the plug. Boop. It was never plugged in. It's not really accurate to put it this way, but I wanna just illustrate this by just simply saying, don't get unplugged from God. Now again, it's a bit theologically not entirely accurate, but as long as we stay plugged in, the prayer life, it's the original wireless communication. Lord, help me. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, my enemies are multiplied, on and on and on. Which, again, in a manner of speaking, puts God on the job. Puts God working in your behalf. It's just an amazing thing that it says here in verse 30, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. And I have to say to you in a very personal way that for me, there's nothing more delightful for me as an older man now and the spitting image of Santa Claus with a Greek god's body. <laughs> There's nothing more amusing to me is to outdo a young man. Now, just a few days ago, this happened to me in the gym. I had just finished my ninth set of a bench press and I worked to just, I can't push it anymore. Well, this young guy next to me, really nice young guy, he said, hey, can you give me a spot? So I said, yeah, sure. How many do you want to get? So I'm going to go for, you know, three, four, whatever. And he did really great. So he had 315 pounds on there. Oh, he says to me, reminds me of the story of the run. You want to try it? No, I'm an old guy with a beard. I said, man, I just finished a lot. I said, I'm kind of gassed. But I'll tell you what. I said, take off 45s on each end. I'll see how many can I get. Two and a quarter. Two, three, five, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, thirteen. That was it. I was finished. I was gassed. He said, no way, no way. Now I got to get down there. So he did 19. I mean, more probability, if he had asked me, I did more work than he did before he finished his sets. In more probability, I would have tied him or I would have beat him. Now he was 30 years younger than me and jacked. You guys know what I mean by jacked. I'm not jacked. But all he kept saying was one thing. I can't believe how strong you are. I can't believe how strong you are. Then I told him this. I said, do you know him? His name is Leon. I said, you know, Leon, I've never even seen a steroid. That's the truth. Not even in a magazine. I've never seen it. No one has ever approached me. I've never seen any performance-enhancing drugs. And this is the thing. You know, how do you get your strength? I said, well, I am a preacher. And God, God strengthens me. It's genetics, of course. There's a lot of things. It's will. 
But at this stage in life, there's not a whole lot to brag about. My right knee sounds identical to a goat chewing a tin can filled with cornflakes. <laughs> so you get to a stage where there's not a whole lot to brag about. But if I can outlive some of these young guys, which I do on a routine basis, then I become a banting rooster. <laughs> you know who I am? Oh, by the way, for all you younger people, don't ever underestimate what's inside an older man. Look at that man strength. Even the youths shall grow weary and fall and so on and so forth, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. But that's the key and that's the condition, is waiting, which as you know is not all that easy to do when it comes to our God, because he seems that he's never punctual. It's late. Now I'm already on the operating table. God is never late. When Lazarus died, he had been dead for four days. When Jesus finally showed up, Late, as usual. So instead of healing him, he said, no, you don't understand. I'm the resurrection. I'm the power. We'll just bring him back up out of the grave. Roll the stone away. He comes out with the grave clothes on. That's our God. And he hasn't changed. He has not changed. Your situation, your problem, and my problems, plural, are nothing compared to the power of God, the omnipotence of God, the whole nature of God, if we will put our eyes upon him because he's looking for someone, as Tozer said, to do the impossible through them, if you or I will put faith in him. Amen. So just wait. Now, from the time you were a kid to this very day, those are the last two words that you want to hear. My grandchildren are sitting at the supper table already talking about snacks. Their parents, and sometimes maybe their grandparents, say, no, that first, then the ice cream or whatever they eat. They don't want to hear that. And many Christians don't want to hear that. Just wait. Let's be patient with this thing. Those of you who have suffered from anxiety and depression, the last thing that you want to do is wait. But the system that I teach works, as many of you can attest to that. But you have to be patient. You have to be patient. And you have to wait upon the Lord. And if you do, he's going to renew your strength. You're going to mount up with wings as eagles. You're going to make the run all the way home and not have to go someplace else halfway on the way back. That's our God. When you think about anvils, which we don't see them too much anymore, you got a, a hammer and you're banging on that thing. If you're a blacksmith, that hammer is going to wear out long before that anvil does. God is always strengthening us. The test that we go through, though, as the book says, we're tried by fire. And so many of you here today, because I know your stories are being tried with fire. And yet it says that that causes us, this is what Job was talking about too, to come out as pure gold. It strengthens us because it draws us closer to God. And now we are not acting on our own strength and our own power, but we are soliciting and obtaining the power of God. Why do you think I sent you an email to pray for me? Because I want God's power. And I'll tell you, as soon as you began to pray, I already began to feel a difference in my spirit. Those, I know there's some of you, and one in particular prays me on a Saturday night when they know I'm preparing the message. And I can feel the lift in my spirit. I'm not kidding you. I can actually feel my spirit. Sometimes I get through the message quicker than I thought. You know, study-wise, I find things that just they come up. Why? I never leave this office. I never have, and I never will, God help me, without asking God for his aid when I come to this pulpit. I never assume that I'm clever enough to reach you. <laughs> Pastor Ray wants you. Because that's the image I have of a lot of these modern preachers. You know, they stand there and say these dumb things. And they're pretty much saying, I'm smart. Well, I'm smart too. But I know I'm not smarter than God. And I don't know your needs like God does. But I know that this book will satisfy them all. If you do your part in believing God. And without that, you will never see the power of God in your life. You'll hear about it and you'll blow it off. Because I tried God. God never asked you to try him. He said, trust me. Trust me. He didn't ask you to try him. He said, trust me. You take steel, and what do you do? Well, I mean, like, you're going to make a hammer now. And they heat that steel, and they, whoosh, and they cool it off, and they, they heat it more, and it's white hot. And, and every time it goes from the furnace to the water to the furnace to the water, it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger until, like David says, he has taught my arms how to bend a bar of steel. Who gave him that? He didn't get it out of Muscle and Fitness magazine. Got it from the Holy Spirit, Samson, one of my favorite characters when I didn't know so much about the Bible. Samson ripping lions apart with his hands. David did the same thing, by the way, with a lion and a bear. Well, because of what? Of the supplements? 
<laughs> well, yeah, okay. One supplement. The Holy Spirit. People think Christians are weak and feeble and unintelligent and stupid. Some are. I've pastored them. But they're not if they know God. They're smart enough to know that they're not smarter than God. They're not more powerful than God. They're not stronger than God. And they can't outlive God. So God gives us what we need. Waiting. Abraham had to wait on God a long time before that promise came. His wife was infertile at the time. I know some of you ladies talk about childbirth. She gave birth at 90. That's my mother's age. It's like, what? And her husband is 100. He waited and he waited and he waited. Joseph, who was put in the jail unrighteously, waited on the deliverance of God. And when he came out of that jail, he was already elevated before he got into the jail. And you know the story. I'm not going through it. God put him as second in command of Egypt. The trial was necessary to test his faith and so on. Because you need that if you're going to be basically the vice president of Egypt. David had to wait to become the king as it was ordained and prophesied. And we have all of these examples in the scripture of God testing his people. And we are no exceptions. Your pastor is no exception. We're all being tested and tried in the fire. And the aim is to come out as pure gold. The aim is to come out stronger than when we went in. To be able to say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can. I can do all things through Christ. You know, a great illustration of this is Elisha. The Syrian army is attacking Israel, and every time they go to attack, Israel's not there. Why? Because God was speaking to Elijah, says the Syrians are going to come over here. So he tells the king, and they move the army, and again, and they move the army, and again, and they move the army. And so finally, the king calls his people together, and he says, where's the spy? Who's telling the king of Israel? Who's telling these people? And somebody was wise and said, it's not us, it's that Elisha. God speaks to that guy. So the king gave a command and says, go get him. You know what a true man of God? They got to send out chariots, horses. That's what they did to Peter. Um, when they wanted to arrest these people, they sent well, Jesus too. They sent mobs of people after one man. Well, the king of Syria sends out chariots and horses. And the, um, let's say the ingenue of Elisha. He wakes up first and he sees this massive army. And he says, my father, my father, how shall we do? Elisha said one thing. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And then his eyes were open. And he saw round about Elisha, chariots of fire, these angels we read about in the book. Like the Apostle Paul, when he went to Corinth, he was a bit concerned. And God said, don't be concerned. I have many in this city. Don't be afraid. For there are more with us than there are against us. And this is a great lesson for this hour of history. It looks like we're not doing so well in the church. That's what we see macroscopically with our eyes. But God is saying, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Never has, never will. Never has, never will. Lord, open their eyes so they may see that with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. Nothing is impossible. Sunday school, young person like we have downstairs right now, here is the Sunday school teacher telling about the children of Israel went across the Red Sea. And the children of Israel built the temple in the wilderness or the tabernacle. Then the children of Israel built the temple and so on and so forth. So finally this young boy says, um, can I ask a question? Oh, sure. What is it? He said, didn't the grown-ups ever do anything? <laughs> you know what? It's a good question. Sometimes, as we see it in Jesus' life, you run into people who have more faith who don't seem to do as much work as some Christians appear to be doing. So I'll go back to what I said earlier. This can just be information. And you can show me up maybe and say, look at all I know about the Bible. But I want to show you what I can do. I don't want to hear what you read. Show me what you can do. Show me that you can stand the test of time. Be tested again and again and again and again and keep getting back up and not quit Ephesians 6, and having done all, to stand. You're still standing. From information to knowledge to skill, you know how to live in the Lord. You know how to use the weapons of our warfare. Again, Ephesians 6, use the sword of the Spirit. Information. We have a lot of misinformation, and I'm not talking about the media. That's a disaster. I'm talking about in the church. A lot of misinformation from the pulpit. That's why I always say to you, and I always will say to you, go home and read it. You preached on this. Go home and read it. See if I got it right. That's the advantage that you have here. I tell you to go home and read it. I had an associate pastor one time that was complaining to me. You're always telling people to think for themselves. I said, that's right. He said, well, that's what they're doing. That's fine. 
That's what you should do. I'm not saying be a rebel. I'm just saying think. Read it for yourself. Well, I'm sure this has happened to you. And I want to tell you the little twist in my story. So after I get this report that I got a little, uh, I got some butterflies in there causing me a little disturbance. My doctor uses the patient portals. He uses it well. I mean, I get the whole report and I can read it and all the details of his notes and everything. And I like that. So that night when I go home, told my wife what's going on and what he's recommending and all of that, I get a notice that I got something in the patient portal, my blood work. So I open it up and it has a note attached to the blood work from the doctor saying, well, before I raise your cholesterol medicine, I just want to make sure that you haven't run out and you've been taking it and all that because your cholesterol, says, is not for, you know, someone with your history. So I was reading it and I realized at the head of every page was the name Sally. I won't go through the last name in case she's someone local. I said, Doc, this is not my blood. And don't call me Sally. <laughs> it's not my blood work. <laughs> I don't know how you walk me, but I'm, I walk heavy when I'm, when I'm angry. And I told my wife, I said, can you believe this? Added an insult to my affliction. I could send blood work and adding more medication, which is not even, he's calling me Sally. <laughs> I'm not a Sally. <laughs> of course, if her blood work was better than mine, I would have said, yeah, I'm Sally. That's my nickname from a kid. But it wasn't. Well, when mine came in yesterday, there were the numbers that I've worked so hard for. Anyway, you know, even the best people make mistakes. You've got to be alert. But I got the wrong email. I got the wrong blood work report. Well, he's a very smart man, very good man. I like him. I said, Doc, this is not me. So now he wrote back and said, oh, man, that's a lot better. Because I'm not Sally. <laughs> Some of you have gotten the wrong email. A guy, a young kid maybe, pulls up in front of your house. Here's your pizza. So I said, you know, tomorrow, did we order a pizza? Wrong address. You ever get a wrong email sent to you? Did you ever send a wrong email to somebody? Yeah. So, oops. <laughs> did you ever make a phone call and then forget to hang up? What I'm trying to say is that when you get the information and the knowledge from the Bible, in order to turn it over to a skill, a life skill, where you can say that you know God, you have to have the information correct. So here's a man, Wilfred Johnson lived in Provo, Utah, going on a business trip to San Diego. So we have Utah over here, he's going down to San Diego. So he decides when he gets to San Diego, he sends his wife a short little email. Unfortunately, he typed in the wrong address, and instead of it going to Teresa Johnson, which was his wife, it went to Tanya Johnson, a preacher's wife, whose husband had just passed away. Yeah. Tanya reads the email that's meant for Teresa, when she reads the email, she just faints. She just drops on the floor as flat as a dime. She fainted when she read the email from her dead husband, which was actually from Wilfred Johnson, and it was meant for Teresa. But when the preacher's wife, again, her husband, preacher husband, just passed away, read the email, she fainted. When they revived her, what's wrong? She pointed to the email, which said this, arrived safely. <laughs> but it sure is hot down here. Well, no wonder she fainted. It was the wrong information. It was Wilfred Johnson writing to Teresa Johnson to say it's hot in San Diego when she interpreted that her preacher husband was now in hell. Make sure you're getting the right information from the Bible. And how you do that? Yeah, you come listen to preachers, but you can't listen to them all. Read it for yourself. Read it. Arrive safely, but it sure is hot down here. Well... Let me finish today by talking to you about the secret of silence, keeping in mind what we just read. But they that wait upon the Lord, and you know from experience, and I know from experience, it's not easy to wait upon the Lord. Look at Haman, for example, Mordecai rather. Mordecai is waiting to be hung by the plan of Haman, because he hated Mordecai for not bowing down and kissing him. And there's the rope. And Mordecai tells Esther to go into the king, and she's got an excuse why she's not going to go in, but she finally decides to go in, and she says, well, if I perish, I perish. But there's the rope made for Mordecai, and he says, or Mordecai, then they're going to kill all the Jews, and he says, if you don't go in there, then God will send deliverance from somebody else, but don't think that you're not going to be touched by the evil that's in this plan. And we should all take consideration. Don't think the evil that's out there is not going to touch our lives. We've got to believe God. In this generation, he will give America another chance. The whole country. And that's only going to come through a revival of preaching, teaching, and prayer. Amen. And then turning information into skilled application. Silence 
Have you noticed, and I certainly do, how many people just can't stop moving? It's always fidgeting. My grandmother used to call it St. Vitus dance. Some kind of nervous affliction. Just constantly moving. Everything's fast. In Psalm 46, God is our refuge. This is verse 1. A very present help in trouble. Are you in trouble today? He's present. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High, God, is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. And here it is. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. Most of my prayer life, I want to tell you, is not engaged in talking to God, but listening. Yes, I pray, obviously, talk to God for you and on your behalf and for myself. But most of my prayer life is just listening, observing. Which for me is the way that I apply as a skill this verse. To be still and know that I am God. To let God talk. Show us that he's God. That we don't have to be afraid that he's lost control of the universe. He hasn't. He's lost control of the governments. He hasn't. The Rockefellers will run out of oil long before God will. But you see the natural man. That's what you see in the media. Oh, what's going on? Most of what we're hearing is true. But God says he's going to renew the earth. That's yet future. God said he will renew you. But the decision is made by you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God into salvation to the Jew first and also to the Irishman, to the American, to the Italian, whoever, to everyone. Be still and wait on the Lord. We need today, as we pray, we need to ask God to teach us to wait. And we can be sure that when we do, he will renew our strength. We'll mount up with wings as eagles. We'll run. For me, that's metaphorically. If I went on the same run I took Bobby on years ago, if I drove my car, I'd be out of breath. But metaphorically, allegorically, spiritually speaking, we shall run and not grow weary. We will walk and we will not faint. I will strengthen you. Yea, I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Let's go before our God as we close the service and let's bring him our whole bag of troubles. But don't you go and bring the bag of troubles and show God each one Look and put him back in and take him home with you. That's done you no good. You go before God with your bag of troubles and you show God and talk to God with the expectation that he's going to fix it, that he's going to heal it. And you're going to wait. And you're going to be tested. And the devil's going to whisper in your ears, your God's not showing up. But he will. He always does. Let's go. Bring your bag of troubles. Let's go before this God right now. And believe him and his word. Father, we come before you. And we thank you for the training, for the testing, for the trials. For they come to make our faith stronger. Unless we renege, move backward, then it's a waste of time. Trial meant nothing. Help us, Lord, to be in a position where we play the man or the woman and be able to give you our bag of troubles and leave those troubles with you with the expectation that you will fix them because you said you would. We, on our part, must play by the rules. Help us, God, to wait. When we're impatient, when we think you're not showing up, when it doesn't look like there's any hope left, Israel knew that many, many times. The great patriarchs of the Bible also looked like God wasn't going to show up. They were outnumbered so many times. But you always, always show up. You cannot fail. Help us, God. Not to be theoretical Christians. People with just knowledge or information from the Bible. But skilled technicians, skilled masters of walking in the Spirit. And having flowing through us the fruit and gifts. Strengthened with might 
by his spirit in the inner man. Now, as we're here praying, just for another minute or so before we close, I know there are many of you, and I would dare to say it's probably all of you, to one degree or another, you got some trouble going on in your life. I know the devil's going to come, has come, and whispered in your ear, just like in the book of Genesis. Has God said he'll fix your troubles? He's not going to fix your troubles. You better get on it, boy. You better get on it, sister. God said, wait. And I know the devil whispers in my ear sometimes, too. But the training of the Lord and the experience, which is invaluable, has taught me that God cannot fail. God cannot fail. You take your trouble today. As I was going to say, you know, raise your hand, but it's going to be everybody's hand. You're disturbed by the news. You're disturbed by things going on. Disturbed by things in your family. All right? But you make sure it don't move you. You make sure you don't move in your faith. And when we come out of this trial, trials will be all the stronger, guaranteed. So, Father, we bring our troubles before you. We bring what is bothering us physically, mentally, spiritually. We bring it all before you and give you this bag of troubles. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make us wait, because in some cases it's still going to be a wait for some. Maybe some. Today's their day of deliverance. Only you know that. But if we wait upon the Lord, we will renew our strength. We shall mount up with wings as eagles. We'll be able to run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. God, we're waiting on you with a hope and a stillness of soul that says, I know that God is. And he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So, Father, we thank you for what we've read, what we've heard. We thank you, Lord, Father God, for what you're doing in the earth. And we're waiting, waiting on you to turn things around. Lord, help each one of us here today to be that person that is looking to you to work your work, to do the impossible through them. And you'll pick the least likely vessel. Help us today, God, to be that person that just says, I will not let go of you until I'm blessed like Jacob. I will not let go. So, Lord, we thank you and we bless you for what you're doing, what you're about to do, and what eternity yet holds for us. We give you all the praise. Give you all the glory. We give you all the honor today in Jesus' name. Can you say amen today? Amen. Amen. Amen.